I, I just find myself chilled and, uh, chilled and amazed and wanting to worship all over again. I, I hope you are too. That's what this is meant to do. But it, And it gets rid of anger and sentimentality, and, and it tells you something, doesn't it? It tells you that the universe is not indifferent. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. John 17, 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will be believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. The glory you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, those you gave to me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was sharing the story yesterday about growing up in the Robbins family, one of, one of the stories, and there's a lot of them. But early on, especially when we were children, my parents had kind of didn't pay much attention to education. And that created some real problems for us as children, mostly for me, because I was the oldest. And they, they were kind of in a kind of a freewheeling lifestyle at that time before they came to Christ, before they before God really, really shaped their lives and reshaped them. And I was telling the story about um art museums for <laughs> some reason mom and dad were all constantly dragging us to museums i mean and, and and i'm the oldest of six so you know getting six kids to go to a museum i mean just whining complaining you know just so i i i was always resolved to find something to look at that would just entertain me and i found things i found things one of the one of the great finds for me was at the actually at the philadelphia museum of art and at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, unlike many other museums I've been to, in fact, they actually had a guns and uh, weapons and armory uh, section. <laughs> and so I go there and look at all, all the armor of the knights and everything. And, and, these, uh, and they were all in these cases. And to me, that was, that was the kind of art as a child that I found kind of fascinating. Of course, you know, you're around when you're but being exposed to those things is good. It's healthy. I guess it builds character or builds personality or something, builds taste. But that was really educational, right? I mean, it wound up have serving a powerful educational function in our lives. And one of those museums was uh, the Rodin Museum. And, and there's a 
Benjamin Franklin actually was, was it Ben? No, it was Penn, William Penn. William Penn um, and others were sick and tired of the European cities uh, being so crazy. And if you've ever tried to find your way around London or any of the other uh, cities of Europe, Paris is the same way. You can get very, very easy to get lost. They were sick and tired of that. So Philadelphia was a planned city. It was one of the very first planned cities in the world, in history. And uh, one of the things that was planned was this mall this, that moves all, met all the way from City Hall to the, to the Philadelphia Art Museum. Well, along that mall, along that stretch, there's another museum, and it was the Rodin Museum. Now, this became a real favorite of mine. It's very small, and Rodin was a sculptor from, uh, from, uh, uh, from Paris, a, a French sculptor from the, late, the latter part of the 19th century. And his sculpture was great. It was so engaging, uh, engaging to, uh, uh, is something going on? I see a chat going on. I don't know if something's going on, but, um, but anyway, sorry, I just got distracted. Um, but this, this museum, so the one the thing that hit me was the gates of hell. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It towers, it must be 10, 12 feet high. And it's Rodin's imaginative picture of the gates of hell. And I mean, it is massive and it is, it's very busy. It's actually, if you're familiar with the thinker, that famous uh, posture of the man bent over thinking, that's actually in that panorama. It's central uh, above the gates. And there's, and it's just this mass of bodies and winged evil creatures and everything. Oh, it's just, it's, it's something else. So as a kid, that was the kind of thing yeah, I I got I got I would find it and I can really kind of enjoy it. But there was another sculpture there, uh, and that really affected me. And the reason Rodin began to affect me, we went to his museum uh, when we when we got a chance to go to to, to Paris last year, and and, and there's um, it, Rodin revolutionized sculpture because he was able to portray uh, emotion in, in ways that that had never really been seen before in stone. And a lot of his was cast, were castings and molds, but there's a there's a there's a physicality, a malleability. There's a there's a a living kind of expressive life. I never paid attention to all that art uh, and its greatness when I was a kid, but as I got older, I began to observe it. And one of his masterpieces is called the Burgers of Calais. Calais is a, a, a city in the north of France, and it's on the seashore. And there's a story uh, about Calais, uh, uh, the story that was under siege, and uh, and they were going to destroy the city. But uh, these the burghers of Calais, the leaders, uh, I forget five or six men, uh, volunteered their lives. Uh, they would give their lives for the city. And so uh, the way Rodin uh, captured that is 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 in this sculpture. Of these figures, and you have to walk around and see. You cannot see the whole sculpture. You have to actually go around it so you can see each expression, because what he attempts to do is capture the way the the breadth of human experience and reaction to death. Because uh, and and it's beautiful. I mean, one man has got his head in his hands like that. Another one looks kind of philosophical. Another one's angry, and and the emotions read. They play. They and the and the, the statues themselves are large, and and it's and all the men they're obviously in confusion. They're all they're no, there's it's it's almost disorganized the way they're assembled. 
they're all in their own private world of response. And I was thinking about there are many moods to human beings when it comes, many, many attitudes, many, many perspectives on, on life and death. And I and now we're in a, we're in a time, we're in a season, we're in a, a a place, in a moment in history, of colossal death. And and many of us are experiencing it. I mean, we're experiencing death even in our own personal lives, or we're experiencing and and we're trying to understand it. We're trying to react to it. We're trying to uh, uh, comprehend it somehow. And I think we embrace these many different moods. We all and and, and many of us, you'll find, I find myself. As I wrestle with, as I respond to my mother's my mother's death, I cycle through different moods. I cycle through different different things. But uh, a list came to me as I thought about it, and 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 I, I there are many different moods. And what, one of the most common moods, is obviously, is futility, despair, fear. You know, the the, the guy with his head in his hands. You know, and that's the uh, and and this almost like a fear and a despair before an indifferent universe. It's popular for politicians to talk about, oh, you know, the virus doesn't doesn't discriminate between Republican or Democrat or rich or poor or whatever. And there's some truth to that. But uh, but uh, you know, as we experience it, that that's chilling. It can be very chilling to us. The, the universe can appear, and we can respond to it with a sense of despair because it doesn't care, or it doesn't seem to. It's that indifference that that you can't you can't get your hands around. Uh, I think it, well, one poet described it as, uh, 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 in one of his poems, as a gaze as blank and pitiless as the sun. I think it captures it. I, it's the look you see in a bird's eye. It's the look you see in an animal. You don't matter. We don't matter. Uh, we don't matter to microbes or to or to galaxies, it seems. And that can lead to this just this sense of despair, I, this futility, fear. Another response um, uh, to, to that is anger, and one of the one of the one of the burgers of Calais, he's obviously angry, and and uh, an anger kind of shaking the fist at heaven. Uh, my brother Dan, um, when he visited my mom, uh, read that wonderful um, poem by Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle into that good night, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Dylan Thomas wrote that about the death of his father, I believe. But uh, it's it's it is it is stark, powerful, uh, lyrical. It's uh, the masterpiece of poet, poetic expression, and it's angry. But that anger, what is it? It doesn't really satisfy you, does it? it? Just like the despair, it just kind of leads you nowhere. It leads you to a dead end. Another re- response is some sentimentality, and I saw this. We saw this somewhat yesterday at the memorial service. We, and 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 sentimentality, just re- re- you know, remember good times, remember old times. In the face of death or suffering, you know, we are tempted to to be a little sentimental. And at one point, my mom's name was Susan, and she loved Creedence Clearwater Revival, um, a band you probably never heard of. But they they sang a song called Susie Q, and as that song was playing in the in this memorial service. Uh, pictures of her and pictures of her with me and with all of the children uh, were were coming up one by one. And you know, you see, you've seen these kind of collages before. And uh, it was, you know, it's sentimentality. It's uh, some desire to 
to capture, uh, and, and usually it's expressed in kind of an, another dead-end way, I believe. Well, uh, she lives on in our memory. I've heard that kind of sentiment expressed in, in when we're faced with death, we're faced with horrors and some of the pain and suffering. And, you know, we hear these kind of things um, and we look for hope in them and they wind up being dead ends again. You know, they don't really bring hope. One of the one of the one of the ones that that uh, I find most amusing was really reflected. My mom actually was uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This is wonderful, uh, wonderful book uh, by Douglas Adams, and it's just a comedy. And it's a comedy though that's meant to reflect back on the world, just how 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 meaningless it all is, how meaningless everything is. And in it, in this story, they they uh, there's a vast supercomputer created by some created by another alien race. And it, its entire function of this computer was to find the answer to life, the universe, and everything. It labors for untold millennia, millions of years or something, to figure out what the answer is. And it finally comes up, and there's a hush, and everybody wants to find out, and the whole universe is waiting to find out what the answer is. And the answer is this, 42. And so what's one of the, what, what is this? What is this response to death and to suffering? It's comic, right? It's to, it's, to, it's, to, it's to point out the comedy of everything, the comedy of any search for meaning. It's just, look, it's all just a waste. Let's eat, drink, and be merry uh, for tomorrow we die, right? It's just, a, is it, you know, when you deal with futility, humor is one of the ways you can kind of unlock it and unlock absurdity. There is no answer. It's another dead end, I think. The final dead end that goes right with it and uh, is, uh, and the final response, one of the final responses is just inebriation, you know, getting high, doing something to stop the feelings. Now, as I think about all these things, I'm not, I'm not condemning them all. You know, they, they, they all represent, gosh, a lot of these uh, emotions you even see in Christ's story. And, and it's not that, well, I'm here to condemn them. But I am here to, to turn us to something new. Turn us to something joy, something of joy, to turn us to something of real hope. And the way I want to do this, I want to turn us to the desires of a God. To me, that to me, that's the that's that's the, the earmark of the text that just barrels out of this prayer. Now we're in John 17 in this high, holy, unbelievable place where the son talks to the father. And I've tried to communicate this. If you don't share my belief system, you, you might not share my wonder, but if you, but, but if you walk in, walk in my believing shoes for a second, because in this text, something happens here where God, the son speaks to God, the father, look in verse 24, it's right there. Father, I desire. And I just come across that. And I just, I feel arrested by it. Christ is facing death. He's, he's just like the burgers. He, 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 has, he has resolved himself to die, not just for a city, but to die, to die for a whole people, for millions, to die for me. And we don't see anger. We don't see, we don't see the burgers' responses then. And uh, we do see some despair in the garden. We're going to uh, just right, right after this prayer. He does have some of that and uh, some of that suffering and even some of the futility at times. But, you, but that, putting that aside, right here, he talks about his desires, the things he wants most. And I find that in my sit so arresting. And what I mean by it, it's just like, it, what, what is this? What have we come to? Why, why am I so amazed by it? 
we're being introduced to, and we are being, we're getting a, a view of the desires of a God. Just stop for a second like that. Stop for a second. Look, many people don't know who Christ is. They they never imagine, or they, or they like to think of him as a good religious leader, as a as a revolutionary, or as a wise teacher. And honestly, you can't do it. Look look at this verse. Look at verse twenty four. Look, I want you to be with me where I am. And look at the capitalized I am. This 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 person here, this 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 Palestinian handyman from the first century, was claiming to be the God of the Bible, the great. I am, the I am who proclaimed himself on Sinai. I am, I am. Christ, it's right in his mouth, unapologetic. And wonders of wonders, not only is this a God, is this man a God, a God-man, the God-man, but uh, he's telling us what a God desires. Uh, I don't know if I might, I don't know if our imaginations even have room for this. How do how does one get to a point where you go, oh, I understand what a God desires now? Or how could anybody ever figure? And it gets even better because the desires of God have to do with you and me. <laughs> These are desires, personal, uh, eternal. Uh, uh, well, look look at the time scale of the desires. Uh, you, because you love me before the foundation of the. These desires have a time scale greater than the age of the universe, greater than the fourteen billion years that got us here. Ah. Uh. We 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 are we are getting witness to a to a to a love that is lasted greater than space and time. <laughs> Desires. I I just find myself chilled at, uh, chilled and amazed and wanting to worship all over again. I I hope you are too. That's what this is meant to do. But it, and it gets rid of anger and sentimentality and and it tells you something, doesn't it? It tells you that the universe is not indifferent. It tells you that that uh, the universe does not look on you with a gaze as blank and pitiless as the sun. No, no. In fact, the one who created the world and brought it into being by his word of power, who upholds the atoms, who upholds, who upholds the galaxies by his word of power, has desires for you, desires concerning you. What a wonderful God. You know, this is why I guess, this is why I've dedicated my life to coming to, to going to people who don't know him and saying, come and know him, because this, this, this is incredible. This is a story. This is amazing. This is beauty. And this is our rescue. We're, we're, oh, we are being invited into the desires of a God. So what does this mean for us right now? Like right Ringer was faced with the coronavirus. First of all, the universe is not indifferent. It is. It just simply isn't. It? But God's desires are not merely wishes, are they? <laughs> the desires of God are not really like idolized. Oh yeah, I hope that happens. Or, or some hope, I hope, I hope you all get better down there. No, it's not like that. The desires of a God are, mean, mean that these things are immediately available to us now. In other words, in other words, he is animated by, by a passion for you and me, and it's not abstract and it's not impersonal and it's, it is for us personally. And it's a desire that will be accomplished. It, it, you know, a number of times in this prayer, in this wonderful, mystical, amazing way that, that just challenges all of our unbelief, Christ talks about he's going to the cross. This is, this is only hours before he's going to be scourged and, and, and mocked and ridiculed. This is Thursday night of this past week of Holy Week. And, and he's about, to, he's about to, to really face it, to really, really get in it. And really suffer. And right here, though, he is sharing with his father these desires he has for us. 
Not like one of those burgers of Galay trying to save the city, is he? Not at all. And I, and he's so and so so the universe is personal. Uh, we're on a time scale of love that we can we can barely conceive of, and this is not merely expressing some kind of desire that's impotent or or wishful thinking. Aren't you glad that Christ is not engaged in wishful thinking? <laughs> but but when when a God desires things, things happen. Things happen. People rise from the dead, and if you don't know it, you don't know Him. That's what He tells us. That's who He really is. <laughs> Praise Him. Praise Him. But I want to go a little further because not only are these, I want you, Molly, what I want to say here as we go with this wonderful high priestly prayer, this wonderful glimpse into the eternal discourse between God the Father and God the Son, as we are witnesses to the desires that uphold eternity in the universe and desires that have to do with us and our well-being. Something else is happening here too. Something utterly disarming. This is a son talking to his dad about the things he wants and the things he wants to show. Look, look at it says, I desire that they also, that you gave me baby what? With me. I'm talking to you, dad. And hey, can I hang out with my friends? That's, that's essentially what this is saying. I remember, I remember going into the kitchen and saying, hey, mom, dad, can I go hang out with my friend? It's the same. It's so utterly, be- un- unbelievably and beautifully just the human desires we have. Why do you think I'm so grieved my mom's passing? Because I want to, because I desire to be with her. Because I want to be with her. It's just simple. It's very simple. It's not complex. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be unpacked or explained. We all know it. And then you look at this. He says, I desire, Father, hey Dad, I want to be with my friends and I want to show them stuff. Look at it. Was, I want them to see my glory, it says. Do you see that in the text? I want them to see my glory. That is just it's show and tell with Jesus. Hey, Dad, I want to be with my friends so I can show them. And, and that, that is utterly, blessedly, divinely, and completely human. I mean, you and I know those kinds of desires. I, uh, wow. You know, what, you know what this tells me? Because um, you see, Jesus Christ is this unique figure in human history. He is, he is God and man, fully God and fully man. We looked at the Heidelberg Catechism. Who can make a satisfaction? Only somebody who's fully man and fully God, right? And uh, that's, that's, that, that's the whole Christian system and, and digested into some sort of, uh, sort of abstract principle. Uh, and that is that, that, that uh, uh, God becomes man so that uh, he can save man, right? And uh, and as we as we're kind of looking at this, we, Christ talks just like a human being. <laughs> I just love it. But when you know, it makes me realize uh, part of what I want um, and I need Jesus to do is is I just need new desires too. I, I just think about this. I I want I want my desire. I need my desires to. I need a new heart full of new desires that are about His glory and and about about his love. You know, I guess you could say, look, I could say, look, I have a competing desire. I want to be with my mom. And it's competing with what? With his desire to be with my mom. <laughs> right? And and with people you love and, and pe- people you love will die. People you love will die in him. And uh, and I and I and, and there's a hope here and, and, and your desires are going to be competing with 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 our saviors, right? And uh, that's okay. But I I see I see in this a desire for God to remake all my desires. 
Remake my desires so they so they understand his glory. Remake my desires so they live in a love that's greater than space and time. Way before the Big Bang, Jesus loved you and loved me. And his father loved him. <laughs> he set his heart upon us with wonder. Oh, he, I guess one of the things that God promises us and our, and our father works in us and that Jesus does is he gives us new desires. And I hear him here. I also hear a desire, a desire that creates a motive for evangelism, doesn't it? I mean, you really love the people around you. You love your kids or uh, the people you're in your family, your neighbors. And you really want, then that desire should be to be with them. And they may be with him. You see, I... I think we need new desires that are, are reordered by, look, look, we're facing death in this universe and we can be like one of the burgers of Calais and we can be self-absorbed. That's kind of the interesting thing about that sculpture is you walk around it, each of the men is just lost in their own, it's, it's, it's really a brilliant sculpture. Everyone is lost in whatever they're thinking. There's even one guy that looks kind of like he's uh, thinking in abstractions, like some, like some philosopher. And there's another guy that looks like he's crying and but everybody's self-absorbed, right? And, and, and look, when we're faced with suffering or with death and, and with these realities, that, that's what we tend to get. What, what is this talking about? This is talking about Easter desires, right? This is talking about desires that are now reformatted, reshaped, and rescoped and have a perspective of eternity before it. That re, that, and now this, this, should be, this should be new new impetus, new uh, drive new awakening that you will not leave a stone unturned to tell people about the love of this Savior and his desires to bring people to be with him so that we can be with them. You know, just, I mean, look, I maybe, maybe in a sense, I guess you could do it selfishly, maybe. I, I don't know. It, I don't, I, but I mean, is Jesus being selfish by talking about his desires? Of course not. Not in a bad way. He's talking about the very things he wants, the new natural human things you want. The human desire you have to be with people you love ought to drive you crazy if you, can't, if you don't tell them about Jesus. It's, it, it, otherwise, it's not real love. It's not true love. It's not the real thing. So uh, this is, uh, and so I, 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 so he's utterly, so, uh, so to begin with, and in contrast with how we look at death, and as we look at the desires of a God, I hope you're 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 captivated by that and just kind of caught up in how His desires accomplish resurrection from the dead. They're not idle, wishful thinking, are they? Second, He's He's not only is the, He this God, He's He's so human, and we identify immediately. We know what those desires feel like for the people we love. We see them in Him. And, and, and there's a desire, human desire for us. And, and I see it myself. In other words, um, I think we become more human in Christ, right? We become more human as people. And, and we become more what it means to be a human being. And that animates all the desires we have for others, uh, that they would enjoy the joys we have in our God. They would enjoy knowledge of him and that they would want these things for others too. There's a lot of things open up here beautifully. But let's go a step further. This is Easter. This is a, God's desires and his desires now as the God man, which involve his love for us and going to a cross to die for us and save us for his blood is, 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 is more powerful than my blood or your blood could ever be uh, that he, that he could be, because he was a man, he could die. 
Oh yeah, he could enter the ruin. He's not, and he can enter the ruin, the decay, and the sorrows of this life of this world. He's a man. He could suffer all this indignity and inhumanity and be murdered as an innocent man by a bunch of people who didn't care, a bunch of envious, power-hungry people who wanted him out of the way. Oh, he could because he was a man. He could suffer all that. He could suffer in ways you and I suffer. He could suffer. You know, there's such an indignity in death. It just is. It's, you know, he's looking at my mom in the hospital room. Or, you know, I don't know how many hospital rooms you've been in, but it's such a, an ugly moment. And you feel so powerless, right? Jesus entered all that as a man. Because he was a man, he could die. He could feel all these things that we feel. Uh, but because he was a god, because he was not merely a man, because he was this new God-man, because we were made in image, God's image as from the beginning, we could bear the weight of divinity itself in the God-man. And oh my goodness, this everything pops open because he was the God-man. He couldn't stay dead. No tomb could hold him. <laughs> and the stone rolls away. <laughs> and the angels bear witness to the people who came and looked. He's not here. He's risen just like he said. You know, it's, uh, well, there's such a deep invitation to life and to love and the desires of the God-man. But where do those desires? They take him right to that cross where he becomes the salvation for all those who believe and put their trust in him. And what was he driven by? Desire. <laughs> a desire for you and me. It says that he was loved before the foundation uh, of the world. He gives a time scale to these desires that he conceived of the of, of this love and this glory. He conceived of this desire for you and for me, for my mom, for that moment as he's talking to his disciples before he goes to the cross. He could he all that was shaped before before the world was before the stars had being, right? All the way to two thousand years after this moment to where we are right now in the midst of this huge lockdown and fears and loneliness and our own, look, those burgers of clay, go, go look it up on, uh, on, uh, on the internet. And look at the, look at all the expressions that are on. Them. And, uh, and, and, and which one are you, right? Where, where do you stand often? How, how do you react to death? How do you process your suffering and your isolation? And then even as you do that now, turn now, to the God who, and to the, and with wonder of wonders, to the God who set, and Christ says here, look, 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 look at the beginning of our text. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What does that verse 20 mean? It means that Christ had its beautiful moment where he saw you. He saw me. He saw my mom. He saw us. He was, he, he was talking to these men and he didn't want any mistake to be made that this was only for them, but this was also for us. <laughs> and it was a desire for you and me. And, uh, and I, I just, I, I, Christ here in this, you know, what, 33 AD here marks, marks that, that marks that his desires are as ancient as space and time. And, and guess what? They run just as strong with just as much life and just as much hope as my voice right now as is present with you right this moment. Um, one of the struggles I've had when my, my, from when I was a child is I can't remember anything. 
No memory of my early childhood. None at all. Just, just images. Maybe one or two memories before the age of eight. And uh, and that was, you know, it's it's odd. It's uh, it's an odd. It's odd. It's just a blank slate. But you know where my memories begin? My memories begin when my mom and dad experienced the love of Jesus. That's where they begin. And I, and I and I think one of the reasons they begin there is because and it's because as a child. Uh, our lives, you know, when mixed up with drugs and religion and the false religion that they were in and, and the wild lifestyles they were living and the poverty that we had, we were living, living on the street. It was just a weird time. It was a weird time in our lives. And so as a child, you know, ch- children have, are remarkable. They can shut down and not, not remember things, right? Not, and, and, and I think it's one of those safety valves that God gave us as humans that we can, we, you know, we, we don't remember a lot of things, which is a blessing from him. Right. But, uh, uh, I came alive with memory, uh, when my parents became Christians. Why? Well, I think it's where our family changed into a, uh, into a, uh, into a family of love. My family changed into something new and remarkable that I had never, I had never experienced before. And we came alive in that moment. My desire right now is that you will come alive with new life and resurrection power for your family, for your kids, for your heart, for your marriage, for your life now, and that you will you will have that and you will fully come alive. Because there's a beautiful thing in here in the, in the promise of eternal life and in God's work is that we are going to become, we are going to share in the desires of our God. And a part of how we share in those desires as we're born again with new life in the presence of the Spirit. And that can happen to you. Even if you don't know Him in this moment, that can happen for you. But if you cry out for it now, with this new life, we, we become more human. We become full of desires and love and, and life. And, and we, in a sense, we, we've come full circle, as it were. We come back, coming back to the God who made us and who come to, came to be with us and to be like us to be the God-man, we are now become real human beings. We become full of life and love. And, um, you know, uh, and something beautiful happens. I, I shared this because it was one of my mom's, my mom loved music so much, but uh, it just, and this is how I ended the message yesterday, was with a B.B. King song. When love comes to town, I'm going to jump that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Ah, love has come to town, guys. In the desires of a God, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, for us to be with him where he is, to see the glory he had before the foundations of the world. Praise him. Let's pray this Easter morning. Dearest Father, we bring before you all of our different attitudes about death and life and isolation and fear. We bring before you our envy that other people, how they how they have somebody and we don't, or we're locked alone and unable to, 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 to enjoy things. And we're all we're all running out of things to watch on Netflix and Amazon, and we're all running out of stuff. And we're even running out of reruns that we've watched before. And we 
and uh, the days go on. And we are faced with mounting death tolls that are terrifying and uh, that we, we can't even get our head around. Even our little church has been so touched by loss already, and it wasn't even connected to this yet. Oh, Father, would you breathe new life? Would you share with us your desires? Share with us how living your heart is from eternity. Share with us how living your desires were as the God-man, dear Lord Jesus, and, and share with them and give us new desires. Give us your desires. Now, look, I, I don't want to compete with your desires for my mom. I, 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 know, I know that your desire to be with her is greater than any desire I ever had to be with her. And I praise and thank you for it. I thank you for joy that comes even in the midst of sorrow and suffering. And I pray, Father, for our whole church community. Give us, give us new life in your desires. Give us new focus in your desires. Give us new joy and certainty in your, not because you never wishfully think. You desire things and they happen, even resurrection from the dead. We pray, I pray specifically for new life from anybody who listens to this now, is listening now or will listen later. And that you, Holy Spirit, would go through the words into unbelieving hearts that don't know you. You would go through the words to people who have run away from you. You will go through those words and you will express your desire for them. And we would hear, and, and we would all hear it again. That we are, we are part of the pleasures of our God and the things he wants most in all the universe. And it's and a surprise. <laughs> It's us. Renew this truth in us, Father. Sear it in us. Make us alive to it again. For we pray this in the matchless, in the name of our living Savior, who stands now before you. In his name we pray. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyterian.sf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.